The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in free. Two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, Zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hello, Anteater Nation. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And do I have a special, special show for you today. Not only do we have 2021 Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, Anteater David McMillan, here in the studio, but we also have his wife, Jean Kim, a chemistry PhD herself. Six months ago, I did a wonderful interview with Professor McMillan soon after he received his Nobel notification. And since husband and wife were both visiting UCI for the first time since then, I thought it would be a great opportunity to hear from both of them just what happens when you win a Nobel Prize. So let's go, go, go. Welcome to UCI Conversations, Drs. McMillan and Kim. How are you today? Oh, hi, Kevin. Uh, doing amazing. It's fantastic to be back in Irvine, fantastic to be back in Southern California and just being on the campus has been out of this world. Just absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Jean, have you been here before? Is it- oh, yes, many times. Oh, okay, great. Well, how are you doing today? Oh, it's great. The weather is so beautiful. Very good. Jean, you know, many of my listeners have already heard Dave's upbringing and so forth. Where did you grow up and what did you like to do when you were a kid? I was born in Korea, okay. but moved to New York when I was 13. Oh. And... Uh, what do I like to do? <laughs> like when to, you were a kid? When I was a kid? Oh, geez. Were Wander you, around the New York City. Were you living actually in Manhattan? Yep. Wow, whereabouts in Manhattan? Midtown. Oh, okay. Midtown near Penn Station. It wasn't such a great area, but now it's much more gentrified oh, near yeah. Chelsea. Oh. And then how long did you live there? Oh, I grew up there until I went to college at Cornell and then okay. Graskill. And since then, I haven't really lived there much. I've been everywhere, but we go visit all the time. My mom still lives in the city. Oh, okay. When did you decide to go science? When I was at Cornell, I was picking majors, and I think I knew that my strength wasn't language at that point because English was my second language. And I know math and science came easier to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's how I picked. It wasn't like David where organic chemistry clicked like this. For me, it was, huh, this is interesting, and I think I can find an interesting job. So I think that's how I ended up being a chemist. Very good. So where'd you go for your grad degree? PhD was in Champaign-Urbana in Illinois. Oh, okay, which I hear is an outstanding 
Very, very good school, yeah. yeah. Very good. Did you ever think about academia? Not really. I think the industry had a lot of interesting application-oriented science, and I think I was more drawn to that. Okay. So the big question is, how did you guys meet? <laughs> you tell the you story. Want to tell story? All right. Well, it's kind of lame um, <laughs> because people always make fun of scientists and chemists because they're never at the lab and they never get out of their own sort of little sphere enough to actually be, have normal lives. And we met at a chemistry conference, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I was kind of suspicious that that might have been the case. So yeah. very good. So do you remember that moment? Yeah, we were both completely hungover. <laughs> and we actually ended up sitting next to each other almost by mistake. And we ended up, she asked me who I worked for at Merck because it was a Merck conference. And it turns out I was the one person there who didn't work at Merck. And I was like, well, and I was kind of offended that she didn't know who I was. So <laughs> we were both sort of realized we were both sort of hungover. So we were both sort of just chatting away about that. And then first of all, became really good friends. And then thereafter became a couple. How long did you guys know each other before you got married? Because you were at Caltech at that time, right? Yes, we were at Caltech. We actually, we took a long time to get married. We actually had a baby before we got married. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, but we were basically together after about two years. I think after yeah. about two years. I think we dated across the yeah. country, one in Caltech, in Pasadena, and me in New Jersey. Yeah, and we went fly, back and forth. I'd fly back and forward from Caltech yeah. to New Jersey every week. But two so, years. Wow, literally, literally every week. You got to know the, all the the same. It's the same flight attendants on the route, so you got to know them, and they yeah. got to know you because it's just you're just constantly going back and forward. But as soon as my daughter was born, Emma, as soon as I saw her eyes, I realized I was moving yeah. to the East Coast. Yeah, very good. How long did that whole transition take to move across? I mean, it was once I decided. It was basically well, I had to get a job, and fortunately. Princeton was looking to really rebuild and build a strong chemistry department. And that was incredibly fortunate. So I was able to get that job. And then from there forward, it took about seven or eight months to move the my research group all the way from Caltech all the way over to the East Coast. Right, right. And that must be no small endeavor to... To, to move a whole research group. It's not. It's it's a lot of work. And I would say that the people who did it predominantly were the, the graduate students involved because they organized it amazingly. They did an absolutely incredible job on being able to sort of deal with all the logistics to do that. It's an, it's an amazingly tough job. Just moving the chemicals themselves is like extraordinarily involved just to wow. sort of do that. Okay. And, and they were so committed, right? Because they're moving from California to New Jersey, <laughs> which is not... Wasn't the most popular movie. Yes, and but, so but they all, the whole group moved. Yeah, they were so the committed and they moved together. Gotcha. So, when do you start working on asymmetric organocatalysis, which is what you got the Nobel Prize for? Yeah, yeah. We started working on it about, I think it was a maybe about. I started my independent academic career at Berkeley, and it started that in July, and it was probably about eight months after we got there. So I was still a first year assistant professor and we sort of, I came up with this idea and tried it and it worked. And it basically worked first time, which was kind of nuts. But it was really very early on in, in your career. Usually for most academics, and um, it's typical that your your ideas take a long time to come to sort of fruition. And a lot of them don't work and you have to keep changing your sort of focus. I was inordinately fortunate that my sort of first idea, which I was really excited about, actually took off uh, very quickly. Yeah. Now, did you know Gina? That was before you knew her. That was right? before I knew Gina. Yeah. So, 
when you have this idea, like, so, you, you know, of course, after I interviewed you the first time, people were saying, so what did he get the Nobel for? And I listened so intently when you told me, and I thought I knew, and then I was like, oh, I guess I don't really understand. <laughs> um, so catalysis is, I love the description of how everything around us is basically a chemical reaction. Correct. So far, so good. Yeah. So, so everything that was caused by a chemical reaction, is, is that is that true? Yeah. I mean, everything that's around us basically is here because a chemical reaction mm-hmm. happened to make it be here. The wood, which is here on this table, uh, our, our bodies are all made of chemical reactions that are constantly ongoing as we speak. There's millions of different chemical reactions happening in our bodies right now. If you look around you, just every, every material here was made by a chemical reaction. So clearly... Chemistry and chemical reactions incredibly important <laughs> if you yeah. think about it. Uh, not just understanding them, which is obviously very, very, very interesting and important, but also inventing new ones. Mm-hmm. Coming up with completely new chemical reactions that were not known previously and, and thinking about ways that you can apply that to impact the modern world, that's what makes chemistry so exciting. Mm. And is that happening all the time? New chemical reactions are being invented all the time? Yeah, that's... Uh, Sometimes I tell people that's my favorite part of my job is that we come up with and invent new chemical reactions. And what's really wonderful about that, so it could be we could discover a reaction or invent a reaction today, and it was never, no one knew about it in the world up till today. It's never been known, but henceforward, as of today, it will never be unknown. And it will always be with us. And we can always think about what we can do with that. And I think that is extraordinarily exciting. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So w- once you made that first discovery, then was it just a matter of, well, we're going to apply this. Th- now we're to the organo part, mm-hmm. the, you know, organic catalysis. So before that, it was mostly metallic? Correct. So there was really two major areas, uh, using metals and using enzymes. And enzymes are these very large proteins that are in your body that can do very specific types of catalytic reactions. And so those are the two major areas at the time. What we did is we uh, basically thought about a third area, which was to actually use uh, organic molecules to do catalysis instead of metals. Uh, Metals, in some instances, can be problematic or difficult to work with, and in some cases are are not sustainable because you're basically taking these... um, elements from the earth and using them but not being able to replenish what you have in the earth. Whereas organic molecules, they fit into the life cycle. So when you're finished with those catalysts, they can be recycled and that makes them very much sustainable. So for that reason, we were very excited about developing this particular approach. I should say, to be completely fair, there are many metals you can use which are great to use and are abundant and actually allow you to do things that you can't do otherwise. So I don't want to give the impression that metals are not important. Metals are extremely important. But when there's cases that you can actually perform these with organic molecules successfully, those will typically be preferable. It would be better to use those than to use metals because it's just better for the planet. And does the discovery with organocatalysis, does it continue? I mean, are they... Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you read any journal... Basically, in chemistry, you'll see there's always new organocatalytic reactions being developed all the time. I've talked to some people here in the last couple of days in the Irvine Chemistry Department who are 
performing organocatalytic reactions, which is wonderful to see. And it's enabling their research, which is also really, really great. So it's ongoing, it's constantly happening, and there's always new innovative and interesting inventions going on around in that area. Did you have any idea when you made that first discovery that it would be as big and profound as it's become? No. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have thought. I thought it would be, I thought people would really find it exciting. And as I've said to other people, my major, major uh, thought at the time was, this is really great. I think there's a good chance I'm going to get tenure, (laughs) 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 which is when you're that age, you're a young assistant professor, tenure is really all you sort of think about. It really focuses the mind. And so when we got this result, I thought, wow, I think we could maybe, maybe get tenure. And then beyond that, once it really sort of took off, then you started to realize that everyone liked it for all the reasons why you liked it. Mm -hmm. And so it really started to catch on. And you're a co-recipient of the Nobel in chemistry with Professor Ben List from Germany. He approached it a little bit differently, didn't he? That's right. So Ben, what he did, which was really clever, is he knew that in the literature that there had been examples of using organic catalysts for odd, unique reactions. But no one really uh, considered them to be, be like, this would be a field or this could go on for many different transformations. But what he did was he took that idea and he showed that you could actually use that in many different chemical reactions and many different processes, whereas before people had had not done that. I should point out there was a, a third person who was involved as well called Carlos Barbas, who was also there at the time. But it's a really sad story. Unfortunately, Carlos passed away in 2014, and he was a really wonderful guy and was also an inventor on, on those papers as well. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guests today are UCI alumni and 2021 Nobel Prize winner David McMillan and his wife, Dr. Jean Kim, talking all about life with a Nobel Prize in chemistry. Now back to the interview. When you went from UCI, you did postdoc work at Harvard, right? That's right. And who was your advisor? His name was Professor David Evans. And what were you looking at when you worked there? When I was in Dave's lab, I was actually doing metal catalysis. And so that's where I learned about this whole field of being able to make what we would call one mirror image of a molecule in preference to the other mirror image, which has really important implications for medicines and other things like materials. So while I was in Dave's lab, I was working on trying to understand the way metals could be used to do catalysis. And I learned an enormous amount from Dave and and working with his team. It really was a a really fantastic time. And what's the asymmetric part? So that's basically what I was mentioning before, which might seem a little bit confusing, but it's not. It's really simple. But asymmetric just means the idea that you can, for example, make one mirror image or have one mirror image of a molecule in preference to having the other one. The way I always like to teach this, uh, really simply, is to wherever you are right now, if you just look at your hands and you look at your two hands and you ask yourself, are they identical? And you think, well, maybe they are identical. They look kind of identical. But then if you think about it, if you were to think about your left hand and take a glove for your left hand, it would fit on it. If you were to take that same glove and try and put it on your right hand, it wouldn't fit. The glove would not recognize your right hand. So what that means is these are mirror images of each other. They're very similar, but they're different. They're mirror images. 
And your body, as it turns out, your body actually is predominantly made up of one mirror image. And so as such, your body can recognize the differences in mirror images of other molecules. The reason why that's important is if you think about medicine, that means you have to be able to make medicines as one mirror image and not as the other mirror image. So if you follow that so far, and if you think about catalysis is important, catalysis is good about making things, then asymmetric catalysis is the way to use catalysis to make one mirror image without making the other mirror image of a molecule. So you're saying it's important for it to be a mirror image, right? It's a very unique and interesting part of these organic molecules that many of them can actually exist as basically mirror images of each other. The part which is really uh, interesting, or I would say is intriguing about all of that is that these mirror images are really, really difficult to tell apart. Right when you're when they're together, it's really hard to differentiate them. If you go into a lab and you were to use a, a piece of instruments to try and tell them apart, it would take about twenty five minutes using a piece of equipment that cost about sixty or seventy thousand dollars. At the same time, humans, as we talked about, can differentiate them really easily. And in my talks, I always show this picture of my three year old daughter and say, like, even when she was three years old, she could tell them apart in a microsecond simply by smelling them. You could smell certain mirror images and one will smell, in one way it smells like spearmint, another case it smells like caraway. You can actually smell the difference between these two mirror images. And that's because your body is built up of one mirror image rather than the other mirror image throughout your whole body. And so much as the same way that the glove can recognize one hand but not the other hand, your body can recognize the differences in these mirror images. So while a medicine might be really good for you as one of the mirror images, the other mirror image could be either not useful or, in fact, it could be dangerous, it could be toxic, it could give you side effects. So it becomes really important that you can produce one mirror image of, of the medicine in preference to the other one. Wow. And is that true? Were those two smells that you pointed out, were those just examples or is that like, no, no, those are you know, the mirror image smells that are extremely common with the human body. Yeah, it's very common in the human body. If molecules are mirror images and they're volatile enough that you can smell them, typically you can smell the difference between these mirror images when they're volatile. In, but, in the lab, you can smell that. Yeah. Right. I, I, when Before COVID, when I was <laughs> teaching, I would take the two vials of the two mirror images that were separate yeah. and pass them around and yeah. people could smell them and you could yeah. smell the difference. Yeah. It's, really, it's really remarkable. Yeah. So the perfume industry has made a lot of effort in this world because obviously you smell things, that's perfume. So you have to be able to, in many cases, have perfumes that are one mirror image but not the other one because the smell, you're, you might like one smell, you might dislike the other one. Oh, wow, wow, very good. So you're into medicine and perfumes, big time. <laughs> yeah. Those are big dollar items, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. People always sort of, when I always talk about perfumes, people always sort of look at me funny, but perfumes are an enormously big business. If you yeah. think about... Uh, the amount of perfume that's used on on a world basis daily, that's an enormous volume of molecules, and you have to be able to make them. But it's not just the perfume. It's the active ingredients in all the things that, like food, flavoring, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. any, any of those active ingredients are in there to make this taste right. or smell yeah. differentiated. Gotcha. So gotcha. perfume is just one huge example. But Got, yeah, yeah. Plenty. Yeah, gotcha. Well, Gene, how about just describing from your standpoint that famous morning on October 6th, 
2021. Can you just give us your perspective? And later on, we'll match it up to what Dave said. <laughs> <laughs> well, typically, David's a morning person. Okay. He'll be up early reading or something. And I was blissfully sleeping. And I hear this ding, ding, beep, beep, beep. I'm like, David, what is your phone doing? Why is it beeping? And so then... He had to go and check or move the phone away so he wouldn't wake I me up. I didn't move it. You moved it. Well, I moved it. I woke up there. I moved it. And then eventually, I think you had had to get up to go check to see what was up <laughs> because it was so busy that it wouldn't stop. And that's how we found out that there were people trying to get hold of him, friends, Ben Liz, um, Nobel Committee, I guess, um, members who were trying to call you. So all those people were... Somehow trying to get hold of him, and he was either sound asleep or away from his phone because I put it away. <laughs> and so that we didn't know for, for a while until he actually woke up to look it up in a um, newspaper. In a, in and a, downstairs. To downstairs. Yeah. A, but that was after I talked to Ben yeah. on the phone. God, was, what a yeah. crazy morning. So how, do you remember that moment that... that Dave told you? <laughs> yes, yes. I was still in bed. Yeah. And he went downstairs to look to see who won the Nobel Prize. And he came running up and said, Gene, Gene, I think I've won the Nobel Prize. And I was like, now, Could you comprehend that? You know, w w was that always a possibility or is like not in a million years, did you think? I mean, everyone said how great his science was. And, and somewhere in my mind, he could win it along with many other people, right? There's a lot of great science, and I would be so proud if he did. And being an Asian, have you know, Asian person, you can imagine the 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 prestige of Nobel Prize. So I think I always thought, oh, that would be so cool. Uh -huh. But you know, to hear from him saying, "Gene, I think I actually won the Nobel Prize," it was like so surreal. Yeah, it's just so yeah, yeah. amazing. I, I, I wouldn't tell you what she said because it's not uh, broadcastable. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I said, oh, my God? Oh, yeah, I was once to that effect. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. How did your day change that day, Gene? We know what happened with Dave. How did your day change? I think I just followed along. Oh. After he took Emma to school and he went to group meeting, David, you know, I knew he was going to have lots of celebration. People were going to go and congratulate him. I, I think I actually went to work just to... Just to see him because there was all these ceremonies and parties being scheduled. Did anyone contact you? No. Really? I don't think so. Your mom or nothing? No, I mean, I called my mom right away. Okay. But um, beyond that, and I texted a couple of really close friends to say, hey. oh my God, guess what happened? But yeah. I think I decide, I think you or someone from your office said, Gene, there's a ceremony, there's a party, there's being organized, we're going to be opening champagne, you better come and that's all i remember i just threw clothes on and i right. just went to freak lap but do you remember this um one of the things that will stick out in my head forever is that um we basically got up we got my daughter up we had her celebratory dance and did all that and basically we were i told my sister a couple of other people the chairman called us but then my phone went absolutely crazy i mean absolutely crazy. the point being like you could not use it because it was just constantly calls, Buzzing. calls, calls, calls. Buzzing. So I was getting, like, I didn't know what to do, so I just looked at it and shut it off, just switched the whole phone off, threw it on the couch, and said, all right, we're going. And so we went and sat outside in our backyard, yeah. just had a cup of coffee, yeah. and had a really nice 15 minutes. Remember that? It right. Was just, yeah. And then uh, people who really had to get contact, had to get hold of him, they texted me. <laughs> right. They called me and said, can you please ask David to call the office? Yeah, yeah. 
you know, president or office of this. Like, like they contacted me, I think, right, right, to right. get hold of you. Yeah. It was so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, now that it's six, seven months after when I first interviewed you, what has this journey been like? Do you think it's at all comparable to when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan <laughs> and it all changed? Has, has it been like that or has it medium or no, not, not really? It's been the most incredible whirlwind of just experiences. It's, I would have, you know, it's funny. I've, I've seen, or I've known people who have won Nobel Prizes and you've sort of come across them and you kind of see what they go through and you think you know and then you realize you don't yeah. know. It's really? just remarkable the layers and layers and layers of things that happen and the experiences. And at some point we decided we just had to enjoy it. We had yep. to go with the flow and yep. basically just put ourselves out there and have these great, unique experiences and, 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 and lap it all up. And it's at times it's exhausting, but we know that come October, there'll be a new Nobel prize winner. <laughs> and that, that will be, that'll be wonderful. <laughs> that'll be a great day. But meanwhile, uh, we're just, there's been so many different unique experiences that have just been unimaginable, you know, eight months ago. Yeah. It's just been fantastic. Can you share s some of the, the, the highlights? Uh, sure. Yeah. For example, this may be meaningful to other people or not, but if you imagine, you know, if you've supported a, a sports team your whole life, whether that is like the Anaheim Angels or the, the Dodgers or whoever, and I've supported this really big, football, we call it soccer, but uh, we call it football, but it's a soccer team in Scotland, and they, I supported them my whole life, and they have a huge audience, and they brought me over. I was guest of honor in front of 60,000 people, and then they basically effectively gave me season tickets for life. You uh, didn't mention the name of the team. Oh, the name of the team is the team. <laughs> called, sorry, the team is called Rangers. And, and what city are they? From? They're in Glasgow. Oh, okay. So that was one. And you got to meet all the players and, and sort of do all of that. On top of that, you get to meet all these different politicians. We were just flown out to Korea to be in the presidential inauguration for the new president. We, got, we had to meet with the president and do all of that. And we hung out with the, the man who owns Samsung. Um, who, I saw that on YouTube. Yeah, that was uh, a really. I mean, and so there's just I'm, I'm sort of you can go on and on and on. There's uh, William Shatner, who's Captain Kirk. He interviewed me from Star Trek. From Star Trek, yeah. uh, he interviewed me for half an hour, and then we had a great time. We had great chats, and he subsequently called me back a few times to talk on Zoom and sort of just chat away with me, which is beyond surreal. I mean, right. like this, you're sitting there talking away, to Captain Kirk. So. Um, and there's just I'm f going over next week to meet the the, the prime minister Premises. of Scotland. I mean, there's just it goes on and on. There's so many different. I'm, I'm missing lots of them already. Maria well, Rissa, we got Maria to Maria Rissa. Yeah, it's just Nobel Prize piece. Nobel. She's oh, also yeah. from Princeton. She's an undergraduate from Princeton. But she's yeah. under house arrest in the yeah. Philippines mm -hmm. for freedom of speech because she's a journalist. She cares about freedom of speech. She's a remarkable, remarkable woman. We got to hang out with her and my family for, and it was just, she's so, so cool. She's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So there's just all of these things that are continually sort of happening and you keep getting invites to do these other sort of cool things and you just, you, it, yeah, it's, it's like nothing, uh, nothing uh, I could have ever thought of ahead of time. Yeah. And, and I love watching you get mobbed by high school kids yeah. who have questions. What is it like? How did you do that? What did you have for failures? They have so many questions for him, and they're not shy to ask. And it's great to watch them because they're so inspired, and they're just so curious about, you know, how he did it. 
right. what challenges mm. he yeah. experienced. And I, I love yeah. watching that. And I, I think that along those lines, one of the most, for me, powerful days of my life was uh, the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S. contacted me and said, would I give a class to uh, kids in Ukraine who'd been displaced due to the war? And I said, sure. And I, and I went on and, and did that with this group, large group of Ukrainian high school kids. And that was powerful and, and very humbling at the same time to sort of do that because you realize that you're having this experience and you're going through all of that. And then you suddenly realize there's these people who are going through this horrendous, horrendous situation. Mm-hmm. But there's little things that you can do. It's, it's very small, but at least you can sort of be part of trying to sort of keep their their focus on moving forward and being positive, and it's that was that was a, a really actually a very emotional, very moving day for me. Excellent, ladies and gents, you're listening to UCI Conversations on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guests are Nobel laureate in chemistry and anteater husband David McMillan, and his chemistry PhD wife Jean Kim, talking about being a chemistry power couple. And stay tuned because right after that, Dr. McMillan makes quite literally a breaking news announcement regarding the Queen of England. Here we go. How about it's unique? There's not a lot of people in the world that are you know married couple that are PhDs in chemistry. Do you guys ever compete at all? Like, <laughs> no, but I do ask him advice. <laughs> I, I, people ask me, "What do you do that's different from David?" And and I tell them, "I I work in a pharmaceutical industry, so I make drugs or medicine using new chemistry that David developed in his lab. So we use a different aspect, but all useful." together so sometimes I ask him hey I can't make this compound really well can you give me some ideas and he rolls his eyes but he does help <laughs> she never ever ever follows my advice no matter how many times I give her advice and just to sort of point out to sort of brag on her behalf you know it's it's really nice that I won this award but she honestly it does sound disingenuous but she's the real star in the family because she's now put two different medicines on the market and that's unbelievable uh, most chemists would be lucky in their career if they do one and she's put two. So she's wow. pretty special and she's an amazing uh, medicinal chemist and has really had a, a large impact on humankind. I did see you gave a presentation at UCI yesterday uh, the, called the Lee Lecture. And I saw remdesivir up there. Is organocatalysis directly applicable to that drug or was that? A, it, it could be. I don't To think... be honest, the only thing I, re- I understood of the lecture was I the name remdesivir, which w- is a, is it an antibiotic for... COVID? Uh, Ramdemsevir? It's an antiviral. It's an antiviral. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. antiviral. Antiviral. Yeah. But no, I, I don't think it's used for that. I think it possibly could be used for it, but I don't think that's actually how it's manufactured at the moment. I think there's a different way it's manufactured. Oh. Right? Oh, were you maybe pointing that out in your slide? That Oh, that, that was what we were talking about there was a different research area that we developed where we're, we're basically using light to allow us to understand biology and biological mechanisms in a way that hasn't been performed before. And one of the, the parts and, of that... And, and this area is... Some people thought that this area you would receive a Nobel Award for potentially <laughs> in the future. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But the... Uh, <laughs> but the... Uh, but it's an area that's... It's it's great. It's a fun area. It's an exciting area. There's a lot of good things happening there. 
And it's basically really cool to be involved with trying to understand the way that these molecules actually are interacting with your body. And we do that using these techniques now that involve like blue LEDs and light to actually do it. How did you come up with this idea? Was this as radical as organocatalysis? I think so. There's a big problem in biology, which is trying to understand the way that a lot of these mechanisms, like how all these proteins in your body are interacting with each other that lead to disease or lead to cures for disease or why they work. And so based on that, we were talking to some really fantastic scientists at Merck about this question. And we started to think about how to use chemistry or chemical reactions to solve that problem. And we came up with this way of using light and catalysts that absorb light to allow you to effectively use molly like proteins in your body that a way that allows these basically these proteins to leave their footprints wherever they go and that's something that really hadn't been successfully accomplished at this level before was to leave their footprints and we developed that and it's working it's, it's really nice and so now we can understand what these proteins are doing in your cells in your body and basically the, the implications of that for thinking about going after new medicines and it's called it's called micromapping. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you, Gene. <laughs> yeah, it's just called micromapping. And that's part of photoredux? Correct. That, what's the difference? Is so there's really, in my career, we've really been involved with three different areas. And the first area was organocatalysis, which we talked about. The second area was photoredux. I'll tell you that in a second. But and the third one, what we're talking about now, is micromapping. Those are three different sort of areas. But the photoredux one is basically how do you use light to catalyze new chemical reactions, mm -hmm. which has been really a great area to be involved with. But after we'd sort of been, and we're still working that area heavily, but we then started thinking about could we actually, instead of using light to catalyze reactions for chemistry, could we actually start to use light to understand biology? Mm -hmm. And that's why we've started sort of moving in that area too. And what was wonderful, I gave this talk a couple of days ago at Irvine, an amazing group of biologists and chemical biologists here at Irvine, and they were really excited about it. So they're, they, a lot of them are wanting to collaborate with us on now employing this, which is wonderful. That's, as a scientist, exactly what you want to have. Fantastic. How about uh, what's on your calendar coming up? Do, do you have any news? That's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I just found out that indeed the queen would like to meet me and she would like to meet me because she wants to give me a knighthood, wow. which uh, absolutely <laughs> blew me away. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not just saying this to be, and hopefully it doesn't come across as being disingenuous, but I'm a, I'm a working class kid from Scotland and the whole idea that I'm going to get knighted is just crazy. It's completely surreal. And I, and I love it. And I am so happy about it. But my favorite, favorite part is a while I'm supposed to be called Sir David. I don't really care. I don't want anyone to call me that. <laughs> However, my wife gets to be known as Lady Jean. Yay. And I I'm am, so excited. I'm so, this is, the kids love this. My family love this. It's just going to be hilarious. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations. And this is actually breaking news. This is being announced today. Right? Yes. So, uh, basically, it was announced an hour and a half. Yeah. Wow. 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 You heard it first here, folks. <laughs> Pract practically. Uh, how about in terms of your family dynamic? You have three daughters that are about all college age. Is that true? Or Two graduated and one is a junior in high school. Okay. So are they chemistry people? 
So the, the youngest one, the 16-year-old, she really is excited about chemistry. Oh, okay. And so she she's thinking of that's maybe a direction she wants to go in when she goes to to, to college, which we think is pretty fun. It's pretty pretty brave of Emma. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she, she really likes chemistry, which is cool. Yeah, she finds it interesting. Yeah. And she works hard at trying to find the type of chemistry I think she's going to like. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of... So far, you know, your explanations are so concise and you kind of get to the chase right away. You make it sound easy, like you can kind of come up with something every week. But I don't think that's the case. Is that true? No, I think uh, a very wise man I knew who actually won a Nobel Prize, uh, Bob Grubbs, who unfortunately passed away last year, but a wonderful guy. He always used to say this phrase, which is, you do your best and you call it great. And I think that's what a lot of science is, that you try lots of things and a lot of things fail. But when things do work, you make sure that people understand them. You make sure that people really, really are able to appreciate what it is that you've just accomplished so that they can start to think about how they would use it in their world. So you have to be able to communicate that well. So, But the key part is there's a lot of failure. For every success, there's an enormous amount of failed reactions along the way. But that's okay. That's, that's the, you know, without those failures, you can't get those shivers of excitement when things work, you can't get those. I'm getting a little bit of um, goosebumps right now. I, I always, when I think about reactions You're a working, true chemist. I get goosebumps. <laughs> I know it's so, it's so nerdy. I'm sorry. But the, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun though, watching him come back. He comes back from work and, oh, you want to hear what we talked about in a subgroup meeting today? This is the coolest thing. And he grabbed the very first paper in the kitchen and he'll be scribbling to show me what the next new reaction that yeah. this group did and yeah. I, I see that energy and like twinkle in his eyes and it's so it's it's fun it happens more than you think right because there's you have a big group of really active students and they're working on all different things sometimes I, I am and so I, again the luckiest person you'll ever meet in your life the group that I have is just fantastic they're an amazing group of young people who show up every day they're so gung-ho about getting in there and trying to make a difference and they really come up with really good things and we develop really interesting things it happens it, uh, just, yeah. it happens at a decent rate yeah. but there's a lot, a lot of failure <laughs> along the way and you've just that's just part and parcel of the the job mm-hmm. you know you just get you you sort of get used to it and that's okay How, in your career do you, can you recall like a major disappointment that, you know something that like you know you thought this was going to work everything was leading up and then it didn't quite pan out or uh, there's been certainly moments where you think you've got this great idea for a new chemical reaction and you think, well, this, this, if this works, it's going to be... going to be a Nobel Prize. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no one ever thinks that. But no, the, uh, no one should think that right yeah. away. <laughs> but the, uh, but, but, sometime, I mean, but you come up with these ideas and you're so convinced that it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to be great. Yeah. And then you try it and it just doesn't work. We have, I've had this one idea... <laughs> For I shouldn't tell you this. I've had this one idea for about 15 years, and to this day, uh, we still cannot get it to work. And I'm determined we're going to get there, but it's um, but we've never been able to do it. So not everything is just uh, it, it works and comes together. There are things which, to this, you know, you try and try and try and try, and you still can't get there. Maybe Emma McMillan will solve yeah, the problem. I, well, <laughs> oh uh, yes, yes, the next generation. Next uh, generation, uh, yes. Uh, I like it. How about, um, you know, I will say that one of the delights, probably one of the high points for me in interviewing people was um, Professor Era Apkarian here at UCI. 
I, he was probably the first um, physical sciences professor that I interviewed, and I was so nervous. I was going to do a pre-interview for about 10 minutes, and an hour and 15 minutes later, he's still talking to me, and he's telling me the story about, Kevin, everything in this room is made up of molecules, and it's like this desk, that door, the air, and it's the same molecules in the universe, and I was just eating it up. I had never heard this in my whole, whole life. I can't believe I went through high school not just... I was listening to the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, now it's just like, wow, this is incredible. It's such a... Um, that's that's what we need to communicate to students. Just I think there's there are students out there ready to to take off with it if they just they need just need to hear it. Yeah, I think that's um, one aspect of science that's sometimes tricky because science can be complicated. Sometimes explaining it can be difficult, and you lose the audience. And that miscommunication leads to people not getting excited about what's actually happening in science, which is an incredible shame. If you really sit down and think about it, science, what it's doing is inventing new things all the time. And it's making things possible that were previously you could never imagine. Now, if you hear all of that, you suddenly realize that's cool. That's incredibly cool. But we, as scientists, as I feel, we don't do a great job at communicating to people, especially when they're first beginning to learn about science, about how unbelievably cool it is to do science, but also how close to the frontier you are. I love to bring high school students into my lab, and I get them to make a molecule, and then I tell them, you know, you're the first person in the universe who's ever made that molecule. It's never existed before, and you just made it. And they can't believe that they just did that in a lab in an afternoon. And and I think that's the part that we we need to get better at is getting across, especially very young people, the sheer excitement, but how close they are to that frontier that they can make a difference so quickly. Mm-hmm. And they can be part of that whole invention so quickly. We're not good at it, and we should definitely get better at it because it's, it's important that we have as many people excited about science and uh, to obviously for the benefit of society. Yeah, that's great. Hey, just to backtrack a couple things, since you mentioned the Queen, do you know when the event's supposed to happen? Uh, we don't know exactly when it's going to happen because we basically just found out, but <laughs> we're going to be going over to Buckingham Palace and my brother and my sister and all our family, yeah. we're all going to get our top hats on and our, our, <laughs> our tails and we're going to go and uh, the Queen will get her sword out and she'll tap me on the shoulder. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, now, that. do you get that too, Jean, or is that, no, you'll just... There's another... I just tag along for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. Good, good. How about you and your advisor at Harvard? We kind of jumped forward. He recently passed away just literally weeks ago. Yeah, a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Did you get a chance to you know celebrate with him, at least verbally? I did. And what was wonderful was we spent... Uh, right afterwards, I contact. We talked a number of times, but right after the announcement, I was able to spend two hours on Zoom with him. And that was just... Was he ill at the time? Or? He, was, he, he wasn't He was ill, but he was not in the greatest of health. Uh. But he was just so uh, excited. It was, it was a very, very emotional discussion. Yeah. And uh, he is just an amazing, an amazing scientist. In my opinion, uh, he should have won a Nobel Prize. But he was such a good guy that he, you know, he would never say that or think that or suggest that. But he, you know, was just so happy for me, and I was so happy for him. It was just an amazing call. Yeah, wonderful. And Larry Overman was your advisor here at UCI. Yeah. Um, now, 
correct me if I'm wrong, when you win the Nobel, you get four medals, right? That's correct. What are you going to do with the medals? So the medals. So what we're doing is obviously the uh, the first medal we're keeping for the family and ourselves, which is nice. The second medal is going to go to Scotland, and it's going to be with my sister. But that will be between my sister and my high school and my elementary school and my university. So they're all going to sort of pass it back and forward and, and use it, and that's wonderful. The th- uh, third medal will, will come to UC Irvine. We're going to give that over here at UCI, which we're really, really excited about. And, and, and you haven't given it yet? Or no, no, we're, we're, we're waiting on uh, at the moment is we have to get medal cases <laughs> for them, which we're working on. It's still taking some time. And then the fourth one is that it's going to be like the Stanley Cup. And, you know, in the Stanley Cup, it just moves around from house to house of all the people who've won it. I've had almost 200 uh, colleagues or people who've worked in my lab. So we're going to basically send it to those people for a week at a time, and they'll all have it for a week, and then it'll move on to the next person. You will get lost. I'm convinced. (laughs) (laughs) It's just basically good. There's going to circulate amongst my group. Because this, it's all wonderful that I get to, we get to experience this, and my name is on it. But this is the work that was done by a group of people. And yeah. without that group, I would have not been able to do this on my own. It would have been completely impossible. So without that group, the group is just these remarkably great humans. They're great scientists. Without them, it wouldn't have happened. So I think it's critical that they all get to share in this. And, and, and it's in- interesting that one of your first year recruit from the group who worked on you know, I think is a professor here in the chem department, right? Yeah. So V Dong, right? Yeah. So V was in my first class, my first year as a PhD student, and to see her and all the things that she's now accomplished, and she is working on just remarkable things. Mm-hmm. And she's a top, top professor. She's incredibly gifted, incredibly creative, and to see her now at Irvine is just—it's sort of full circle. It, it's so wonderful yeah. actually to see her, and she was an undergraduate here as well. Wonderful. How about um, responsibilities up in the upcoming year? Uh, is there something called the Landau Lectures? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the Landau Lectures uh, is an event that's held, I think it's every couple of years, but it's held in Germany. And what they do is they get together uh, a number of Nobel laureates with a, a host of young scientists, usually scientists who are graduate students between the age of 21 and about 25. And the idea is to really just allow those people to hang out and talk science with each other for a week. And they have all these, you give lectures, but you also give very, uh, have sit downs with like 10 people at a time to talk about, you know, what are the things that you're excited about, you hear what they're excited about. And I think it's to allow uh, a lot of young people to demystify, I think, some of the Nobel stuff and so that they can see that we're real people and we've we do science the way they do science, and to also give them that sort of momentum to say, yeah, they can do what we're doing. They can sort of think the way that we're thinking and keep them moving forward to hopefully motivate them towards what's going to be hopefully their academic careers yeah. in the future. Wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. My guests today are Anteater alumni and 2021 Nobel Laureate in Chemistry and soon-to-be Sir. Dr. David McMillan, and his partner in life, his wife, Dr. Jean Kim. We now talk about pillars of a happy life. How about for both of you, you know, in terms of leading a successful, happy life, you know, do you have three, you know, are there, are there any pearls that you follow or the, that you've 
you've done that you didn't even maybe even realize like that you know that you think are important maybe that you taught your kids or tried to teach your kids or I think they've always they they grew up watching both of us really committed professionally right mm. and so I think they understand that that we have our own passion outside even family as much as we love our family and that's our core that keeps us grounded and happy um, they know that it's important also to find happiness at work. Find something you really love to do. And I think David always tells Emma, oh, it's not a job. It's, it's if you love what you're doing, that it's just all fun. You get to do do that. And, and we spend so many hours working, right? So I think they know how important it is to find something they like to do. I think they learned that from us. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's definitely one. Yeah. The other one I'd say is just laughter. I mean... One of the things which is, when I was growing up, was big in our house, which is having a great, just laughing at each other all the time. So in our house, it's the same way. We just sit around and we have such a, we just make, we joke around with each other all the time. We yeah. kind of make fun of each other all the time. And so it's a very, it's, there's just so much laughter. And I think it doesn't matter what you do or where you grew up. If you grew up in a household where there's just a lot of laughter and enjoyment, and uh, you can't beat it. It's the wealthiest thing in the world, regardless of how much money you have. That's wealth is to be is to be happy. Your daughter is just immensely proud. A good description, or is there a better? Dis- <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Or are they like, come on, Dad. We, we. <laughs> yeah, I think the the youngest one is hilarious, and she just is, and we'll be talking away, and she'll sort of roll her eyes. Roll her eyes. And she'll be like, "Is this a Nobel thing?" <laughs> and so she's just. You know, she's a great kid and she's a six-year-old kid, but she's, you know, she'll she'll put us in her place about like if we're uh, right. getting too, uh, too going down that and getting consumed by this pathway or that pathway. The oldest Danielle is very chill about it and, and will appreciate it, but the middle one's always arguing about social psychology. And <laughs> social science, yeah. <laughs> social science. She's a, she's a sociology major and so we always have these great discussions about social science and, you know, what's happening in the world right now and... We have these fantastic discussions which go on and on and on. So, no, it's a, I think the key is that they understand that, you know, you have to be passionate about what you do, but you also have to not take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's a very Scottish thing. I'd say it's also a Korean thing. You, you've got to self-deprecate, um, but you've also you've got to have fun. You've got to have fun. Yeah. And, and we love to go on family vacations if we can, yeah. <laughs> when we have time. <laughs> Uh, how about hard work? Does that, that that seems to be a through line through when I interview professors and and other successful people that that seems to be part of the of the gel that that happiness is if if you're doing something you enjoy to really be good at it, you have to work hard. What do you think? I, I think for us it's all a given <laughs> to a little extent, right? We yeah. we never I, I I don't think you can get ahead without working hard anyway. So I think it's like the basic. You work hard at it and you know, good things will come, right? And if, if you love what you do, then all of those ingredients make success yeah. happen. I don't know, I'm not sure I tell my kids to I know, work we don't, hard. I know, we, we never do that. I think, I, so I don't really think I work that hard. It's not that I'm, I'm lazy, I just never think of it as working. Yeah. You know, it's this thing where you're just involved with this area and it's exciting, it's like, Doing anything you enjoy, you know, whether it's sitting watching on TV, watching soccer, or being in the office thinking about ideas and seeing what's going on, it never feels like it's really that you're having been forced to be there and you're doing it because you you need 
to do it. You're doing it because you want to do want it. To, yeah. And I think for us, it's hard to think of that as hard working. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I don't think like, I preach them and say, no, go work say, hard. No, it's yeah. not like that. I think they see us doing work right. because we, we do it naturally but, and enjoy it. But we do spend enormous amounts of time doing it. So, yeah, yeah do you, so the question is, do you have to spend, uh, do you have to be involved? Do you have to be passionate about it for it to be gotta, for it together? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. To, yeah. for gotcha. sure. How about you're, you're here for this, this special return to UCI. Do you know when you're coming back again? Uh, I don't know when I'm back again. <laughs> we'll probably be coming back again. Actually, I do know when I'm coming back because we're just talking about it. Uh, the, my favorite uh, chemist in the world, uh, Larry Overman, is going to be turning 80 ah. next year. And so the group, uh, all of the alums are going to organize a big reunion, a big birthday party symposium for Larry. And we'll all get back here at the UCI campus to celebrate Larry next summer, which is going to be fantastic. Excellent, excellent. How about, you know, going back to organic chemistry, you know, such a common term, you hear a lot of people f- afraid of it, and you seem to <laughs> take to it like a fish in water. Yeah, I mean, for me... Were I, you like that too, V, or... No, I'm sorry, no. not V, G. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I studied physical organic chemistry. I was a photochemist in grad school. I found PCHEM much more easy because it's just all math, it seemed to me, whereas organic was... I had to work at it. You know, uh-huh. I don't see three dimensional as easily as I think David does. Uh-huh. But I think it's it's like a new language and it's kind of fun once you get yeah. the hang of it. So it's three it's kind of three dimensional, is that true? Oh yeah, organic is three dimensional. Oh really? Yeah, so you have to be at least it really helps if you can see all these chemicals, these molecules in your mind, in your mind's eye, if you can see them in three dimensions. Like Tinker Toys? Or yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, and as long as you, if you can see them that way, it really helps to think about how they'll be able to interact with each other. So are metals not organic? They're not organic. So are they not 3D? Oh, they can be 3D. They are very much. I mean, when it's attached to something more so, right? Yeah. Um, because the metal itself has that electron density, but when it's complex to something, then it's absolutely going to be three dimensional. Everything, you know, that you you make and we biologics, the the protein and all that is completely three dimensional. So I think it helps if you can visualize that really well. And I think that I'm not as quick with that, and so I had. Mm. A little more hard time. For the record, I was absolutely terrible at physical or <laughs> chemistry. Physical so we have, chem. So we have the opposite. Uh, <laughs> so that was came easy for her, and it was very, very difficult for me. So we were very different in that, right? and complementary yeah. in that way. You know, as we're closing here, would you guys share just what you appreciate about each other? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I was going to say about what makes it tech and what makes things great, if you find someone who you end up being married to and I know this is cliche but it's completely true if you find someone who's your best friend who you laugh with you joke with you when you something happens to you that's the person you want to tell because you've just that's instinctively that's the person you connect with then you've found you found the person you you want to spend the rest of your life with and and it's and you never it never gets old it never gets tired it never gets jaded and it's just it's always fun and so for us what's been amazing is that we get to experience all these experiences together, together. Yeah, and yeah. So, uh, and there's nothing better than when you you get to do something than get to share it with someone. Right. Wonderful. For me, I appreciate David's sense of humor. Um, I I find it funny, and he'll say the goofiest things, and I crack up laughing. And 
and Dave will pat me in the back and says, this is why she's with me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. The one person will laugh at my jokes. <laughs> well, Gene and Dave, thank you so much for stopping by to visit with us. It's been thrilling to have you on campus this week, and it's great to meet both of you. Best wishes at the palace for your <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for having zot, us. Zot, zot. You're very, zot, very... Zot, zot, zot. Is that what you said? Yeah, zot, zot, zot. Zot, zot, zot. Thank you again to Anteater alumni and Nobel laureate in chemistry, Dr. David McMillan, and his wonderful wife, Dr. Jean Kim, for joining us today on UCI Conversations after their triumphant return week to campus for the first time since Dave received his Nobel distinction. And before we move on, Anteater Nation, take note. The 2021 Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, David McMillan, loves UCI for everything it did for him. He truly believes he would not have achieved the momentous recognition of the Nobel without earning his PhD at UCI, without attending UCI. Listen to his and Gene's soundbite before we even started the interview. What an amazing unbelievable uh, it's a great department great such campus. a such a good Pe- people here just know how you run a hell of a show it's you know? it's just an amazing place yeah 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 everyone associated with uci should be proud one of our own just received the nobel prize this year whoa and don't forget not only that but our power chemistry couple, Macmillan and wife, will soon have the distinction of being knighted. Sir David Macmillan and Lady Jean. Oh, so very British indeed. Downton Abbey cheerio, here we come. Three cheers to this amazing couple and best wishes for their future success. Until we meet again. And now turning the page, coming up next at the top of the hour is Oswaldo Diaz with his Spanish-Espanol-speaking show, 30 Minutes to Mindfulness. Stay tuned. You have been listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the fabulous land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, Nobel Prize winners, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, David. <laughs> yeah, I'm your host, David McMillan, <laughs> otherwise known as Kevin Boston Meyer, <laughs> wishing you a pleasant good evening and encouraging you in the words of Professor McMillan find your passion, don't take yourself too seriously, laugh at every opportunity, and keep having fun. Take it away, Fred Kaplan, with Side Pocket from your CD Signifying.